All right, folks, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 563. John chapter 6, we're, we're moving right along in our study of the Gospel of John, and we're doing two things here with the Gospel of John. Our, our original purpose, is, which is why we're doing the study, is to get to know Christ. You know, we're in, a, we're in a world right now where there are so many different concepts of who Jesus is and how he acts and what he wants. And uh, we need to know the truth. And the only way you're going to find the truth, can I be honest with you, is in God's word. It isn't on Facebook. Okay? It's not going to be some picture on Facebook that says some, something wonderful about Jesus. You don't live your life by slogans on Facebook. Do you understand what I'm saying? You live your life by what God says about Jesus. And, and that's what we're here to look at. We want to know him. And, and with knowing him, John's got two purposes with the Gospel of John. He shows us who he is and what his purpose is and who he really is. But he also shows us how humanity reacts to him. And how people respond to him. And, and he points out from the very beginning is that most don't like him. Most reject him. Now, you and I would be like, wow, really? Seriously? When you, when you understand who he is and you understand his heart and his love and what he's done for us, you don't like him? Well, it's because he says they like darkness. Now, again, darkness is not this satanic concept we have darkness in the scripture especially in the, in the gospel of john is the whole concept of not having god you're in the light with god but when you reject god you're in the darkness you're on your own and, and that's the concept and so when we come to chapter six is where we're going today we're going to actually see in this chapter, two great signs. You've probably heard of them. All the Gospels talk about them. The first one is the feeding of the 5,000. Okay? Feeding of the 5,000. Next week, we'll look at the next great sign there, and that's Jesus walking on water. Okay? And we're going to see how the people respond to that, how they react to it, and so forth. And so today... We're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And to be honest with you, uh, it would be great for me to present to you a message about how if you've got a need, Jesus will abide overabundantly, and he can. But that's not the purpose of the story. It's actually a test. He's testing his disciples. Now, he's showing something about himself, but he's testing them. Now, do you like tests? I don't like tests. You have to put up with them, right? You know, every once in a while you got to put up with them. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, our kids recently, you know, when they got their driver's license, they had to go take a test. And I remember when I did that when I was 16. And, and uh, I was thinking as they were going to do it, I thought, man, I am so glad I don't have to do it. I probably would fail. Do you know what I'm saying? Because test. I don't like tests. We don't like tests. But that, to be honest with you, is what happens in the scripture. You get tested every day. 
Really? James talks about that. When you go through difficulties, that's the testing of your faith. So how are you handling your difficulty? You're facing a test. Well, there's a test today. And we're going to read about it. It's going to be 5,000 people that need food. And we're going to see some things about Jesus. Now, that's what most of it's going to focus on is Jesus, okay? But then at the end, the last two verses of what we're going to look at today, it's going to focus on how people respond to him. And it's going to be interesting again. You're going to see a contrast. You're going to see people who realize, oh, wow, that's who he is. But then there are going to be others that really want to do it their own way. And we're going to see that here, okay? So let's talk about this together. So if you have, you have your Bibles, let's look at verses 1 to 15, okay? And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said, this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are these among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, all right, let's just pause for a moment. When they were filled, that's the folks eating, okay? When they were filled, he said to the disciples, go gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the 12 barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. All right, now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to, we're going to really take this in four parts. Okay, so we're going to see the need first. And I want to talk about the need. I want to talk about Jesus with regards to the need. So hopefully there's some things there that you can grasp about Jesus and you as you face your needs, okay? So then we're also going to see the assessment. We're going to see two different assessments. One's from Philip, the other's from Andrew. Then we're going to see the sign. We're going to see what Jesus did, and then I'm going to talk about the response. 
So hopefully, we're going to learn more about Christ and about ourselves, okay? We're going to learn more about Jesus and about ourselves. So let's talk about the need. So first thing you're going to notice, especially when you look at verses 1 to 4, it's going to say, after these things, meaning what? So after he was in Jerusalem, and remember chapter 5 was totally focused on the healing of the man by the pool at Bethesda. The guy who didn't want to be healed, who thought he just needed somebody to throw him in the water, when the water rippled up and Jesus healed him, and of course he reported him to, uh, reported him to the Pharisees, you know, because he did the healing on the Sabbath, and they were all upset by that, and Jesus, of course, shows who he is and talks about the great signs that point to him. So now John is saying in chapter 6, after these things... Jesus goes over the Sea of Galilee, and he also refers to it that the Gentiles referred to it as the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberius who? Tiberius Caesar. Okay, so the Romans renamed that great big body of water after their emperor. So Jesus is in Galilee. Now, here's the thing. By this point, Jesus has a lot of people following him. Why? Because they see that he heals the sick. Honestly, he, he heals the sick. And so guess what? Everybody's got somebody who's what? Sick. And so they're coming after him to what? Have Jesus heal their person or friend or whoever who's sick. I mean, we can understand that. If, if Jesus showed up here, let's be honest. Okay, so, like, even in our church family right here, we have some folks we have not seen in a year and a half since COVID started because they are vulnerable. They maybe are dealing with COPD, some breathing disorder or whatever. Some of them have other issues that are going on, and so they, they really can't be out, or, or they are no longer able to get out, and so they're, they're sick and infirm. We understand that, right? And so... We know what's going on. And so if you knew that Jesus was showing up and you've heard the stories that he can heal, what are you going to do? Hang back at the house with your sick loved one? Wow, I wish Jesus would come here. No, you're going to go to Jesus, right? You're going to go where he is and, and that's where people are. They're coming to see him. And when you look at the crowd, it says 5,000 men. Let me just stop for a moment. 5,000 men. There's a whole lot more than just 5,000 men. Now, why didn't they say the women? Well, that's the culture of the time. Men were more significant in this culture. So they would acknowledge the men. And obviously, there's a whole lot more there. So... Here they are, they're following after him, they're in Galilee, the, t the setting, the timing, he tells us the timing, John tells us the timing, it's near the time of the feast of the Passover, because at the Passover everybody goes to Jerusalem. So this is the setting. So here's the need. So Jesus, it's amazing to me, Jesus, as he's seeing this, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 6, Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, what shall we, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
Now, there's something significant here, so let me just kind of give you the point, and then I'm going to lay this out for you, okay? Seeing the multitude, Jesus asks about the need to feed them. Seeing the multitude, Jesus asks about the feed to need them. All right, so here's the setting. They're up on this mountain. Now, I don't want you to think like the hills around here in Kerwinsville, okay? So, for instance, Lori and I were just at a, a pastor's conference a few days. We got back yesterday over in Lancaster. And I just about went nuts there. Why? Driving around because everywhere I turned, I was being blinded by the sun. Because it's just flat there. And so you're turning, and it's like, got to put the visor down. Trying to, I mean, we're trying to look at our phone. The phone screen won't show up because of the light. I mean, and, and we're like, why is it different here? And it's because we don't have any hills like we do here. Here, it might be sun shining, but we've got a hill to block out the sun, right? Okay, so, but I don't want you to think our hills around here have lots of trees on them. That's not the hills here. That's not the mountains here. The mountains here are barren. It's Palestine. So they're up on a, up on a hillside, he and his disciples, and he's looking. Now, 5,000 people, is that a lot of folks? That's twice the amount of folks that live in Kerwinsville. Do you think if you're up on a hillside, you see them coming? Yeah, you'd see them coming. Now, what are the disciples probably? They're probably there thinking, oh, wow, look, a big crowd's coming. They're just thinking, wow, a lot of people are real excited about you, Jesus. We're your right-hand man. Wow. Jesus is looking at him and thinking, we've got to feed them. He's already anticipating the need. Isn't that awesome? Jesus, when he sees them, he already knows what their need is. Isn't that what scripture says? You go to the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about prayer, he says to you very clearly that the Father has no, knows what you have need of even before you want. Ask. So here you are. What's the number one thought that goes through our mind when we are wondering about, oh my gosh, I'm going through this problem. God, are you there? God, are you listening? Here's it. God, do you even know what's going on? He knows. Isn't that awesome? He knows. He knows. So seeing the multitude, Jesus asks about the need to feed them. Now, here's the point I want you to see. The question, all right, here's the next point. The question is for our benefit since he knows what he'll do. Jesus already knew what he's going to do. He didn't just was up there like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll feed them. No, he knew that he was going to feed them. But he's asking the question of the disciples for a reason. Here's the reason. To test them. To test them about who he is and what he can do. See, when he... he, he the story here that is given to us, the narrative that's given to us here in the gospel, is for our benefit. He asks the questions of the disciples, not just for Philip to grow and Andrew to grow and the rest of the 12 to grow in their understanding and their faith of Jesus. It's for you and I to also grow in our understanding of who he is 
and that he's going to do what he's going to do. He can handle it. All right, so stop with me. What does that mean, George? Here, I want you, I want you to get the application. Listen to me. I don't want you to ever think that he is never aware of what you're going through. I don't want you to ever think that he is not working in the midst of your difficulty. Because here's what happens. You go through a problem. I know I've done this. Go through a problem. Oh, God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to do this. Here's my 10 steps to take care of it. You do that? 10 steps to take care of it? God, follow my plan. Then he ignores your plan. He maybe even lets you go through the problem and doesn't solve it. And so here's, you abandoned me, God. You didn't answer my prayer. And you get frustrated. We look at it our way, don't we? I want you to stop for a moment, pause, back up, look at the way God looks at it. He's the one who allowed it to happen. He's the one who is using it in your life for some purpose, for some reason. And it's not that he didn't hear you, he heard you. And it's not that he's not working, he's there working. And he's guiding you through it. This is what we're seeing here. He sees this crowd coming. Oh, guys, what are we going to do here? He already knows what he's going to do. That's the need. So look at their assessment. They respond the same way that we would respond. What do you mean? Look at what Philip says, okay? So let me help you to understand what Philip says. Look with me. Philip says, verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Let me explain to you what 200 denarii is. So a denarii was a coin. And that coin was worth a day's wages. Okay? So Philip is saying 200 days worth of wages that could buy bread is not sufficient to feed this big, huge crowd of 5,000 men and everybody else that's with them and just give them a little bit. Wouldn't you agree with that? You had five. I mean, if we, if, if we went to, let's say, we get all of Clearfield, because there's 7,000 people in Clearfield, if we could get them all in one stadium, not anything around here, but we could get them all in there, and it's your job to feed them, you would already say, there is no way just even 200 days of my wages is going to feed them to give them a little bit, right? So Philip is looking at this, and he's like, there's no way, Lord. And he's probably already thinking, we don't even have that. Okay, so here's the point I want you to see. Here's the reality. There is a perception that the need is beyond their ability. There's a perception that the need is beyond their ability. And that's exactly what they're struggling with here, isn't it? There's this perception that there's no way we can do it. That's the first thing that you see there. There's no way that we can handle it. Isn't that how we respond normally? Got some big problem happens. 
some God-sized issue happens in your life and you're looking at it and you're thinking, I don't have the brain power, I don't have the wallet power, I don't even have the physical power to handle this. There is no way we're going to do it. God, why would you abandon me? By the way, he's the one that lets you face those kind of problems. For a purpose. And sometimes we're not meant to figure it out on our own. You might want to write that one down. Sometimes you're not meant to figure it out on your own. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's reality. So there's Philip. 200 denarii worth of bread. 200 days of wages. Couldn't even buy enough bread to feed these folks. So then comes, <laughs> here comes Andrew. Why did he even say anything? But it's for a purpose. Andrew comes along. Look with me at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? All right, so let me explain to you. So there's a lad. What does he mean? It, what that is a reference to is there's a youth, probably a little guy. Who knows? Maybe it's a teenager, but this guy's got five barley loaves. So when you think about a barley loaf, I don't want you to think about the bread section at Walmart. Been down the bread section, you got the whole big aisle full of bread, and there's the big loaves there. I don't want you to think about all they got is five loaves sliced, ready to distribute. That was not what a barley loaf was. Can I be honest with you? A barley loaf was kind of like, a, it was first of all the least of the grains to make a, a piece of bread from. And the loaf would probably be about this big around. So that's all they got. It's five of those. And then when you think about fish, don't think about a big catfish. Don't even think about bass or trout. Here's what I want you to think about. Sardine. And it would have been dried. And that's what this little guy has. Five little loaves, two sardines. And, and Andrews says the obvious. How's that going to do anything? Well, it, it, it's not necessarily going to do anything. So here's my point. I want you to see there is a recognition that their resources cannot match the need. There's a recognition that the resources cannot match the need. Look, that's just life, isn't it? You and I are going to face situations where the need goes beyond what we can handle. Right? Goes beyond. But then, here's the reality. There's Jesus. So look at what he does. It's amazing. Look with me at verse 10 through 13. I'll just read it again. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was much grass in that area. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting 
down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, they, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. All right, so I'm going to point out two things here, two things that I think are amazing to us for us. Here, here, here's the sign. First of all, God uses the insignificant to accomplish his will. God uses the insignificant to accomplish his will. It just blows your mind. God uses the insignificant. Five little barley loaves, two sardines, he takes that and he feeds 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus everybody else, to the point that they're filled up. Now, do you know what filled up is, right? Think Thanksgiving, want to take a nap, filled up, okay? They're filled up. And then afterwards, there's 12 baskets of the fragments left over. God takes the insignificant and accomplishes his will. You and I have seen that. You and I have seen that. We, Lori and I were actually reflecting. We, we had a moment in this conference that we were at where uh, we, we were thinking about, uh, you know, what God has done in our church. We were asked that question, and so we went through a series of questions about what God has done. And, and I remembered, man, this has been a long time ago, but when I came here, we had a debt. We had a, a debt in our church. We had a mortgage that we were paying off from all the renovations that were done years before. And I remember going away to a conference and feeling like we need to get rid of that debt. Plus, we had a building behind us that was what they called the pantry building, and it needed to be tore down. And we're like, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? And so here's what we did. We, we, we prayed about it, we prayed about it, and then we just started taking a Sunday school offering. And within a year of taking a Sunday school offering, a Sunday school offering, we paid off the debt and tore down a building. That was over twenty-some thousand dollars. Wow. That was God. That's what He did. He took a Sunday school offering. And he did it. God uses the insignificant to accomplish his will. Did you understand what I'm saying? If, if we were just, if, if we had just committee meetings and board meetings and, and even congregational meetings sitting around, well, how are we going to do that? How are we going to pay off over $15,000 in a mortgage? How are we going to tear down a building that's going to cost $10,000? How are we going to do that? Well, what are we going to do? How many? Well, we don't do bake sales. And we don't. And then, I don't even know who came up with it. Sunday school offering. Really? Who gets the glory for that, folks? God does, right? God. Man, that was, that was the Lord. 
He takes five little loaves, two fish, and he feeds them to accomplish his will. To accomplish his will. Here's the second thing I want you to see. God provided for the need in abundance. He didn't just feed them. There were 12 baskets left over. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, you can sit there and say, well, how big were those baskets, George? Were they big or were they small? You know what? It doesn't really matter how big they were. The fact is there were 12 of them left over that were filled. That was more than they had when they started. The point is, is he, he provided in abundance. That was God. Because he was wanting to accomplish something. Now, let's, let me stop. This is not a promise that every time you've got a need, God's going to show up and take the little bit, turn something big into whatever. He can do that. He doesn't do that in every situation, but he was wanting to accomplish something here with this one. And I thought about this. Why did he show up like that for us? Because I can tell you right now, you can ask our treasurer, from that point on of paying off that mortgage, it was always good to be able to make it through the next month not having to pay somebody else off. Not having a debt of any kind. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And he sustained us through that. That's the Lord. So this is the sign they did. So here's, here's the reaction. So what's the reaction? First of all, if you're there and you just had a fish and, and Barty loaf lunch to your filling, excuse me, sardine and Barty loaf lunch. I don't know if I like that, but okay, dried fish and Barty loaf lunch and you're filled to the capacity. You're probably thinking, man, who is this Jesus? So here's the response. And so I think this is very telling because you're going to see two aspects of who we are. And this is something we can learn about ourselves from. Okay? So look with me, verse 14. Here's the first point I want you to see. Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The prophet. The prophet. Okay, now who... Who's that? What are they talking about? Well, Moses, in his law, the first five books, when he's getting ready to leave, he tells the children of Israel, as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, that God was going to send them a Moses, excuse me, send them a prophet who was just like him. That is a messianic promise. God's going to send a Messiah who is just like Moses. Now, what did Moses do? Well, God, through Moses, provided them every day with what? Bread. And meat. He fed them. So these folks who are there, they're good Jews. They know their law. They know what Moses said. They're realizing, wait a minute, now this guy just fed us with all the bread we could want and, and all the sardines we could want, all the fish we could want. Whoa, wait a minute. It's him. This is the prophet. 
This is the Messiah. So here's my point. There, there is a recognition that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a recognition that Jesus is the Messiah. Look, let me ask you something, folks. So, okay. You know, you know Lori and I love our kids a lot. Okay, so uh, just within the last week, Lauren and Foster, you know, they're down in Dallas and uh, big city. When I was down there, I didn't even drive. Lori drove. It's just terrible. So they're sitting on a highway, stalled, traffic jam. Somebody comes up behind him and smashes the end, just smashes into their vehicle. Didn't even stop. Booms. That's their vehicle. Now you guys know what it's like when you get, you don't get from the insurance company, you don't get enough to replace a vehicle, right? And uh, so we're, we're, we're encouraging, we're praying for them, and we're just thankful that they're okay. And we're praying for them. And Foster calls yesterday and says, Dad, you're not going to believe what the insurance company said they're going to do. And, and he told me what they're going to give him. He said, this is beyond what the blue book value is. He said, this is beyond what we paid for the thing for. And here's what I thought. That's you, God. You answered that prayer. So, the, so this is my question I'm asking you. So here you are, you're going through your crisis, you're going through your thing, and then somehow you get through it. Do you pause for a moment and you say, that was you, God? That was you, God? You heard my cry. You heard my prayer. That was you. See, these folks, when they were eating, they were like, yeah, that's him. It's, it's the prophet. That's one response. But there's another response. Look with me, verse 15. This is not a good response. Look with me at verse 15. He says this. The writer says this. John says this. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself. About what, what do you mean they're about? So word gets out, this is the Messiah. So guess what? They're all wanting someone to throw off the what? The oppression of the Romans. We're going to make him king. So they go to make him king. So guess what? Jesus knows what's going on. Guess what? He leaves. Goes up on the mountain by himself. Why? Because these guys decided they're going to do it according to their plan. Their plan. So here's what I want you to see. The final point I want you to see here. And this is the reality. And that is that many try to accomplish God's plan in their own way. Many try to accomplish God's plan in their own way. This is not the way that he's supposed to do it. Do you understand? In fact, as I was looking at this and seeing them trying to make Jesus the king... I was thought about what the other gospels said, the temptations, remember? 
Satan said to him, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. You just bow down to me. What was that? Circumventing God's plan. Why? Because all the kingdoms belong to Jesus, right? But why do they belong to Jesus? Because he went to the cross to die for you and I. Why do you think later on when we see Peter and, and, he, and he says, uh, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you're the son of the living God. And, and he says, Peter, you know, you haven't, you know, no one revealed that to you except God. And then he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter says, you're not going to go. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Why did he change like that? Because Peter had it in his own mind what God's plan was. And he's saying what? No. Men think they know better. But God's going to do his own thing. That's something I think we really need to think about this day and this world we live in today. I mean, everywhere I turn to, there's some Christian telling me about what they think needs to happen. You know what? I don't have that kind of brain power to figure that out. But then again, God didn't give me that job. Nor did he give it to you. He has it, that job. And that's the one we need to be trusting in, right? Because sometimes his plan ain't our plan. And are you okay with that? So what do we see here, George? We, we're, we're learning two things here. We're learning who Jesus is, and we're learning about ourselves. So here's the, here's the two things I want to just close with, okay? So here's the first one. He knows your need, and he can handle it. But let him do it in his way. Do you understand? He knows your need, and he can handle it, but let him do it in his way. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do something. So, so think about it. What I told you about paying off the building with a Sunday school offering. All we could do was just take an offering at Sunday school. Just the normal Sunday school offering. God then took that and multiplied it to where we could pay off a mortgage and tear down a building. Oh, and besides that, side the back of the building with siding. Put a new fence up in the parking lot to replace the old rusted one that was there. God did all that from a Sunday school offering. So we still had to do something, but he took what we had and he blessed it. See, this is the thing. God can handle it. Now, does he do that every time? No. But sometimes he's got to teach us something through the difficulties that we go through, right? All right, that's the reality. Here's the second thing. What do we learn about ourselves? That we have a tendency to run ahead of God. God's doing what he's doing for a purpose, but our tendency, and that's a natural tendency, that's true for every one of us, we want to run ahead of God. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Let him accomplish his will in his time. That's what we're seeing from this passage. 
And next week, we're going to see him and what he does with the water. Now, that's significant in itself. Why? Because to the Jew and their concept from the Old Testament, the sea was a place of chaos. Here's one who's the Lord of the chaos. Jesus. And here's the thing I want you to remember, because I talked about this earlier before we got in our message. This same Jesus... is the same one who's waiting with open arms for you to come to him. So run to him. Let me pray for you.